0: Numbers, we're going to look at uh, Numbers chapter 13, uh, that text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. Um. So a couple of things to say about this text uh, before I read it. Um, one is, uh, this, if you've uh, been to Sunday school or been around the church very much at all, you know that uh, this is a famous story uh, about God sending uh, some uh, spies uh, into the land, the promised land, uh, before the people uh, went in there. And uh, they the people get scared and they uh, decide they don't want to go in there. Um, And so what we could do this morning is I could tell you to treat your faith like a magic wand. And that is, if you just believe, you can take that hill, take that fortified city, take that promised land. And just because you think this is what you should do, you should do it. Maybe some of you think God has promised you that you're going to get rich in 2018. And so you're going to seize that promise, right? I hope you do. I hope all of God's people get rich, and I hope they get generous, <laughs> right? Right? How awesome would that be, right? I'm for that. You're for that? Okay, good. Uh, but what you have to see about the promises of God in this passage and, and what he's doing here is not, he doesn't come to Steve Shelby and say, Steve, this is what I'm going to do and just for you. This is a promise. These promises that are fulfilled are for all of us. This is this is for the people of God, okay, together. And what we'll see in this is that the people together uh, play on one another's unbelief and make the situation really a mob as the spies come back and tell them, What the land is like. And so what I want you to, what what we're going to do today as we look at this, don't fall into the trap of thinking, if I just believe enough, I can wave my faith over this situation that I'm in and my desired outcome will happen. Okay? At the same time, God makes great promises and he is at work and he will see us through to the promised land. So we need to keep those things in mind as we think about this today. The other thing is, so I'm going to uh, the text that's in the bulletin. I'm going to read to you uh, the first uh, three verses of this chapter, and then skip down to uh, chapter 17 because verses four uh, through 16 is a long list of names uh, that uh, will just stipulate there were 12 uh, spies from 12 tribes. Okay. And if if you want to go back and study these names, you're welcome to do that. But uh, we're not going to take the time this morning um, uh, to, to, to read them. So Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 33. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man. Every one a chief among them. So Moses sent from all the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them, men who were heads of the people of Israel. And then down to verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob to Lebo Hamath. And they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Heman, Shishai, Talmai, and the, the, the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down. The word Eshkol means cluster, right? So they were so impressed by the grapes there, they named uh, they named the place uh, after this cluster of grapes. So at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However... The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And so we seemed to them. And so as, as we come at this text today, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, as I've already said, you know, the, the thing that you don't want to take from this text is, you know, there's difficult things in my life. And if I just believe, uh, the right way or read the right scriptures or do that sort of thing, then suddenly my desired outcome is going to happen, right? And so we, we want to be, we want to be careful that, uh, that we don 't do that with this text, on the other hand, what we have to see here is something uh, uh, that really matters and 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 it 's something that is super important because there's a dispute here uh, among the spies, right, but the dispute is not about what the land is like. everybody agrees giant grapes giant like. Big grapes, giant pomegranates, figs, trees, water. It is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. It's awesome. Nobody disputes that. No one disputes there are giants in the land. No one disputes there are walled cities in the land. In fact, archaeologists tell us that some of these cities had walls that were 20 to 30 feet high, 15 feet thick. They're not kidding. These things are real. Everybody agrees. No one disagrees with that. This is the status, right? What they do disagree about, though, is a matter of perspective. Let me put my notes up there, AJ. So here's the issue. There are some spies who have come to the conclusion that there is a God who has spoken and acted in time and in space and most powerfully for us and profoundly in Jesus Christ. So whatever else may be out there and whatever else they may be seeing, the one thing that Caleb knows, and as we'll see next week, Joshua knows is, well, all of that's true. They're walled cities, and those guys are really big, really big. Did I say they were big? They're big, and we're little. But, but there's a God, and the God's on our side, and he has made promises to us, and he has told us that this place belongs to us. And so that changes everything about the situation that they're facing. Now, one of the things that you have to see about this is is that when we read this story, and the way we tend to think about this is that the sin of the people by not going into the land was that God made it easy. He did not. It was going to be hard. They're going to have to fight. They're going to have to strategize. They're going to they're going to have to figure it out. Right. So. So it's not just that that, you know, God said these people are just going to lay down and let you come in and do this. You're going to have to fight. So. So God's not minimizing and Caleb is not minimizing here the challenge that's before them. But what he's doing is he's looking at the challenge that is before him from the perspective that there is a God who has spoken and acted in time and in space most powerfully and profoundly in Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. Uh, last Sunday night, I was uh, sitting in a hospital room with my dad, and uh, he was in a bad way, really bad way. He was in a lot of pain, significant pain. So much so that he couldn't sit still, he couldn't lay uh, in his recliner, and he would get up and put his hands over on the hospital bed like that, Is the only way he could get relief. He's in a lot of pain. They come in and they take his blood pressure. And he tells them as they're coming in to take his blood pressure, you really shouldn't do this because it's going to be really high. And they take his blood pressure anyway, and it's like 210 over like 120. And he's like, see, I told you. And I'm like, Dad, you know, that's not stroke territory. That's head explosion territory, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. We we got to do something about this. He's like, well, I told him. And and the nurse is like, you know what? I'm not going to write this down because I don't think they'll believe me. Right? So he's in a bad way. I'm in a bad way. Their solution to his pain is to give him a Tylenol. Now, I don't believe in Tylenol. I know some of y'all probably believe in Tylenol. I don't believe in Tylenol. I just don't believe in it. It's it's like many things in this world. Promises, things, but ineffective in the end, right? <laughs> so they give him a Tylenol. Well, this Tylenol is not getting anywhere near his problem. And they won't do anything else for him. Nobody knows. Well, I sure don't know. And I'm thinking, well, wow, we're going to be in this. We are in this. Something has to happen. So, I'm at the end of my rope, and I begin to think, wait, you know, there's Jesus. I hadn't thought of that. And he said he would be with us. Now, I'm not going to say, Jesus, prove to me that you're with us by making Dad feel better like this. But I am going to say... How are you going to help us? We need help. Nobody else is helping. I can't help. And what we're doing is not sustainable. So a nurse comes into the room and says, You're in pain, huh? Yep, I'm in pain. So she looks at some of the, <laughs> the devices that are on him and like, Oh, I know exactly what the problem is. Fiddle, fiddle, fiddle. <coughs> Boom. pain goes away immediately. Feels better, check his blood pressure, normal blood pressure, and two minutes later, he's asleep. Now, here's the thing. What I said, I lied to you earlier when I said, Jesus, would you help us? What I actually said was, what is wrong with you that you are not helping us? Where are you? This, you know, look, we got to have some help here, and this is not going to fly. And then lo and behold, he sent a nurse, and she fixed it. Now, this is not a magic formula, but it is an illustration to us of the reality of the way we approach the real issues. In life, And that's this. Is the pain real? Yes. Are there people, issues, and things that want to be your undoing? Yes. Are, are, are there things that are so challenging that they are overwhelming? Yes. But at every stage of life, at every place where we go, what Caleb knows is this. Yes, there are giants in the land. Yes, there are walled cities. And, and yes, they could crush us, but we have a God. And this God is for us. And this God loves us. And, and we can say that we know that this God is for us because Jesus has come. Jesus has lived. Jesus has risen again. And that's our hope. And that changes everything about the way in which I deal with the very real and very profound challenges that come my way. Now, why is it necessary to spy out the land? Now, a couple of things you need to know about that. Now, they're called spies, but they're not kidding anybody. There's 12 of them, right? They speak a different language. They, they uh, are dressed differently. They approach things differently. They're not hiding. I mean, you don't hide when you're walking around with a clump of grapes that you have to carry on a stick, right? <laughs> right? So so unlike what when they send the two spies into Jericho forty years later where they're hiding and stuff, these guys are not hiding. And and why aren't they hiding? Because they're not a threat. The people in the land they'll take them seriously. Why would they? Why would you take them seriously? Look, I'm behind my 15 foot wall here. Have some grapes, right? So, so the, 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 the they're going about here. They're they're not they're not hiding. They're, they're very out in the open about what they're doing, and they go from one end of the land to the other, right? So, why is it necessary for them to spy out uh, the land? Does God not know what's in there? Does God not know uh, where the trees are and where the water is and where the grapes are, where the pomegranates are? Does God not know that? Of course He knows it. He's been telling them for four hundred years. This place is awesome. It's yours. He doesn't need to know that, but the people need to know. It's awesome. God's kept His promise, and they're walled cities, and they're giants. God's not hiding from them and not minimizing the fact that they are facing a giant challenge, an intense challenge, a thing, a thing that, that if, if we only have our own resources and our own abilities, it will certainly crush us and overwhelm us, right? But he wants them to see how hard this is going to be, but he also wants them to see the great reality that he has kept his promises and that what he said about this place is actually true. Next, where do the spies go? Well, they go all over the land. But one of the things that you notice here is, is that Hebron stands out in particular. And why is that? Well, Hebron, uh, you, you may not remember this, is the place where Abraham's buried. Where Sarah's buried. Right? it's where they took Jacob back and they buried him that's where Isaac is buried right now now here's the thing that's so ironic about that i mean think about this and this only makes sense right if 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 you've been hearing that god has this place for you there's this this wonderful land and that your ancestors were there some 400 500 years before that and what you you uh, understand is that he he's given this to you and you're going to go there and you go to look at it where do you go? Well, you go to the, you go to the place that would be most familiar to your family. Now, here's one of the things that, that is so ironic about the promise of God. God comes to Abraham and says, look over all this land. It's all going to be yours. Everything you see, it's all going to be yours. 400 years later now, they own a part of the land. The one part of the land that they own is a cemetery. Now, you know, we could, you could write some deeply ironic novels about, about that. But the people, the spies, they go and they go to Hebron and they go and I'm certain they're there because this is like, this is where it all began. This is where the bones of our ancestors are. This, this is, this is where the promise of God began to come to fruition. Uh, centuries before, right? And so, this is a good reminder to them that, that 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 the venture that they're on is not something that they just cooked up, or that something that just kind of sprung into place, but that they are actually fulfilling and a part of a drama that God has been at work in for for literally hundreds of years. And here they are; they can say, "You know what? Abraham was here. This land was promised to him. You know what?" God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Next slide. So what do the sp- spies bring back? Well, they bring back produce, right? You know, if you need to know what's out there in the land, they, they, they bring it back. I remember as a kid uh, sitting in Sunday school coloring the picture of the grapes. And uh, this, was, this was important to me, to color the grapes, because on the farm that I grew up on, we had a grape vineyard. And one of my jobs every year was to prune the grapes, prune the grapevines, uh, and then when they grew back, tie them up to the uh to the posts, and then go out there and cut the grapes when they came in. Uh, my dad made the nastiest, nastiest wine, <laughs> but we had grapes, and we made wine, and no one drank it. <laughs> praise god, and so um so I was always I was interested in these grapes, and I remember looking at the cluster of grapes, thinking, "Now, does does what would that have been like?" And I'd never seen a pomegranate before. You know, you can go to get pomegranates now, but back then at Harris Teeter, where we went to the grocery store, there weren't any pomegranates. They're everywhere now. It's kind of, it's a, it's like kale, right? <laughs> right? It's kind of one of those designer fruits, right? And so they're they're everywhere now, right? Uh, and we grew figs and, you know, to this day, dried figs is my favorite snack. I love dried figs, I, you know, uh, fig bars, dried figs. I, you know, if they had bacon in them, I'd eat them every day. So um, so the fact is that God brings this back to here to them. He condescends to them in his mercy and his grace because he he could have just said, listen, I've been promising this to you people for hundreds of years. Will you just believe me? But what he does is he says, listen, I've been promising this to you. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Go in there and look at and pick it up. Hold the grape. See it? See the pomegranates? See the figs? I'm not a liar. It's true. This place is going to be awesome. Everything that I've told you about it is true. And so there's no reason not to believe God. There's no reason not to. They, they, not only do they have the word of God but they also have in their very hands the evidence that what he has said is true. So what happens? Well, there's a good report and there's a bad report. And isn't it funny which report wins? We love bad reports, especially when we can all like it together, right? Where we can can all kind of join in together on this and be like, oh, yeah, you know. That's so bad. It's bad. It's really bad. Bad. Let me tell you how bad it is. It's bad, right? We can't do this. Now, Now, one of the things that I've always thought about this is, well, if you're not going to do this, what are you going to do? Where where are they going to go? What, What are they going to do? Live in tents for the rest of their lives? They can't go back to Egypt. Well, and they can't go forward. They're stuck. They're just stuck. Because as they look ahead of them and they think, yeah, that's really good over there. That's really awesome. But you know what? The challenges are too great. God's not hiding the challenges. He's telling them that they're challenges. But he's also giving them evidence that I promised you that the land was good. I promise you that I will give it to you. I promise you that, that, that it's yours. And so we have to come back again to this matter of perspective. Notice how the text begins. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving. God says it very clearly. Go spy out the land. I'm giving it to you. But look at what they say when they come back. They speak to Moses. They don't say we came to the land that God is giving to us. They say we went to the land, Moses, where you sent us. And there's big grapes there and giant, giant people, right? So what we have here is this tension between our resources and our challenges. Now, you may think, well, now why did they choose to say they're giants there and we were like grasshoppers to them? Well, you know why? Why grasshoppers? Why not ants? Because in this culture, people eat grasshoppers. And so what they're saying is, it's not just that they're gonna step on us, (laughs) they're gonna consume us, right? They're, they're gonna, they're not just gonna squash us, they're gonna eat us if we go in there, right? And so, so which is the typical way we we confront almost all of our problems, right? We look at a situation that God brings our way, and it is a hard problem. It is a challenging problem. It is one that is bigger than we are. And we look at that and we think, I don't have the resources to do this. So, you know what? I just don't, oh, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Well, um, it's been a hard week for our family. Really hard. Um, and uh, uh, one of the hardest ever, but also one of the sweetest ever. Uh, I got to spend a lot of time with my brother this week, and uh, we got to, to, we prayed a lot together, we ate dinner together, we uh, mocked each other like brothers do, uh, made fun of each other, uh, talked about basketball, you know, we did, it was just a great time. We got some devastating news yesterday, and uh, it was really hard, and he's furious, furious, lit up. Um, and I expected that. I've only known him for 58 years, and I know how he works. He knows how I work. And so I went up to him, and I said, you need to calm down which, you know, when the little brother says that to the big brother, you you can know, you can expect how that's going to work, right? You need to calm down. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? And he said, I am near the top of the food chain at one of the biggest companies in America. I am extremely successful. I make gobs of money. I have impact. I solve problems. I make things happen. Now, this is why I'm telling you this, because it sounds like most of us. And I'm like, well, why are you so angry? Because I cannot have impact in this situation. And I said, well, you know, I know how you can have impact in this situation. I know how to solve this problem. You do? I said, yes. How, how can I solve this problem? You can be Jesus. If you're Jesus, you'll solve this problem. But since you're not, you're not going to solve it. It's bigger than us. We don't have the ability to solve this problem. We're never going to solve this problem. Praise God, Jesus has solved this problem. Yes, I do not have the resources. In and of myself, much of the walled cities and the giants who would eat me like a grasshopper are overwhelming. But I have a God who knows me, who loves me. Who came and lived for me, died again for, uh, died and rose again for me, and that is my hope. so how are we to think about this then? How are we to to, to confront this when we come at the promises of God, and how do we think about that well uh, there 's zillions of promises of God in the scriptures to the people of God, zillions of them right and so uh, how how are we how are we to think about that well let me let me just tell you. Uh, uh, how I think about this. Um, I am—I do not like uh, trite little Christian books. Which means that there aren't many Christian books that I like. Um, but there is one that I've had for years and years that sits on my desk. And it's called God's Little Book of Promises. Which is the dumbest title ever. Uh, but it's just Bible verses about the promises of God that I'll pick up periodically and I just read those to be reminded of that there's a God and there's a Jesus and there's a cross and there's an empty tomb. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So what are some promises of God we need to think about today? Well, there are dozens of them, but there are three that I think uh, uh, I hope and, and trust that are applicable to us today. The first one is this. God says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. At the heart of the gospel, at the heart of what we're here for this morning, at the heart of what Jesus did is the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus died to do for us, to forgive our sins. Now, I don't know where you are in your understanding of what that is, but if you trust Christ today, all of your sins are forgiven. He has forgiven you. I don't know where you are today in forgiving yourself or forgiving others or whatever that is, but I know this, that because of the cross of Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. It is not just a theological fiction. It is the truth. It is reality. Your sins are forgiven. Promise one. Promise two, Jesus says He is with us always. He is always with us. You are never alone. You are never left alone just to your own devices. He is with us. And this promise is particularly true on mission. He gives this promise. This is one of the last things he says to his disciples. One of the last things he wants us to remember is, as you are about my mission, I am with you always. There's never a time where he's not with us. And then thirdly, and the sweetest one is this that in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Listen, there are walled cities. There are giants who will eat us like grasshoppers. There are difficulties in front of us, and Jesus rose from the dead. We know that in the end, we have the resurrection from the dead. We know that in the end, This Jesus has entered into our world and done something that we could not do. And he has risen from the dead. We know the ending. We know the grapes are big. We know the pomegranates are sweet. We know the figs are good because our Jesus has risen from the dead and he has gone to prepare a place for us. Trust him. Trust him. The disciples prepared the Passover And when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve and they were reclining at the table. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's...